Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I'm your DJ, Doris, and today my guest is Jay. Hey, Jay. Hello, Doris. Hi. As you can hear, Jay is also not from the States. <laughs> so it's a European uh, podcast today again. Yay. <laughs> the best kind. If you say so. <laughs> I will not <laughs> say any different. Okay. Jay, you're also a seasoned podcaster. Yes, yes, I've been podcasting for, for many years. What podcasts can people hear you on if they want to listen to you outside of American Graffiti Minute? Okay, well, my, my main podcast at the moment is is Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, which is myself and my co-host Mark Hoffmeyer from Movies, Films and Flicks and Rotten Tomatoes. He and I go through Deep Blue Sea, uh, the Rennie Harlan 1999 shark-infested classic, one chapter at a time, one DVD scene at a time, I should say. And at the time of recording, we have, we've actually just finished uh, recording Deep Blue Sea 1, and, you know, there's a couple of sequels, there's Deep Blue Sea 2 and Deep Blue Sea 3, which went straight to uh, streaming or straight to DVD, and we thought, hey, why not do those two? Yeah, why not? <laughs> there's, there's, there's reasons why not, uh, but we, <laughs> we totally ignore those reasons. It turns out there's there's 33 chapters for Deep Blue Sea, which is a lot of chapters for a 100-minute film. That is more chapters than The Great Escape has, uh, a podcast I've discussed wow. recently on another podcast. And that's a, fil that's a film that's almost three hours long. So, so uh, many but, sharks. <laughs> indeed. There's only three sharks. Uh, but <laughs> but the, the sequels two and three, there's only 10 or 11 chapters for each of those. So we're talking about bigger chunks of the film, but chunks about 10 minutes each. Uh, so we're finding... Uh, more positive things to talk about when we have uh, a longer stretch of time to to, to cover. So it's not it's not a, a ten ten episode podcast where we're hating on Deep Sea Two. We are finding the positives to talk about. If you ask my co-host, he would say he loves the film. If you go back through some of our old episodes of Deep Sea, you'll find that is not the case. <laughs> not to call him out. Uh, <laughs> what I found is going through um, the minutiae of a movie, not just watching it and hating on it, but really looking at the tiny things you learn to appreciate things Absolutely. even in yes. bad films yes indeed and it helps when you have uh, people like michael beach in the cast michael beach is a phenomenal character actor and he is making a a, a real meal of the script he has some great monologues some great sequences <laughs> and he's he is a he's what's bringing me back week after week is oh, i get to talk about michael beach again and what 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 crazy stuff's he saying this week that's great so, Deep Lucy the podcast. So, we're here today to talk about scene 36 of American Graffiti and the song that we're hearing very low in the background this time. Not actually um, that obtrusive is The Dell Vikings Come Go With Me from 1957. So, Jay, what do you think of that song? Honestly, I, I don't think very much of that song. It's as you say, it's it's quite low in the scene. It doesn't stand out. There's a it, it just comes out right at the end of the scene. It does. There's a lot of well, it's very low, and then it's very loud at the end. And this is an issue I have with American Graffiti. Is sometimes they think the soundtrack is more important than the dialogue, and it, you can't work out what's being said because the song's playing too loud over it. And I I'm not a fan of that. It's like have, we have the same thing with Tenet. To, 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 turn the music down a little bit so we can hear what's actually going on. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I didn't think much of the song. I listened to the soundtrack last night whilst I was, uh, I was doing a jigsaw, and it was, oh. it was, kind of, it was kind of good, a good uh, jigsaw soundtrack. But all of the songs do kind of blend together. They are very samey. But I'm, I'm, I'm grateful this isn't one of the many, many songs on the album that's like, oh, she's sixteen now. Let's celebrate that she's sixteen. It's legal. I'm glad that. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of that. You're 16 and <laughs> now you're mine. There are at least so. three different songs that highlighted. Oh, she's 16. 
Well, as I said, it's from 1957. So at the time the, the story is set, it's already five years old. And uh, the band is interesting, though. The Dell Vikings, they formed when all of its, uh, its members were still underage, but active military. Um, it was recorded, supposedly, legend, in five minutes. Or it, it was written in five minutes, not recorded. And it is one of the very few mixed-race or, or mixed bands at the time. So black members and white members, which was very unusual in the early 60s or even, even the, the late 50s when they started out. The members kept changing a lot because um, they were active military and a lot of them were stationed overseas and could no longer tour. <laughs> well, that, that uh, written in five minutes, kind of thing. I listened to a, a podcast called Punch Up the Jam, where they take, which is a great podcast about music, where they just take classic songs and try and improve them. And it turns out that most of the greatest songs, the most memorable songs in all of history were written in about five to 20 minutes. Someone had a flash of genius idea in that. Yeah, it seems to be. Or a, a lot of them were also, they made an album, and then the album was finished, and then they just said, oh, let's just write another song. We're all here, let's just write another song, not necessarily <laughs> for the album. And that tends to be like one that gets chucked on and is the greatest selling song of all time. Just that one they made with no pressure at the end, just kind of kick their heels back and write something. So maybe there's something to that. I mean, so often in, in this movie, the songs kind of illustrate what's going on in the film. Yep, true, yeah. This one kind of doesn't, I think. <laughs> if you listen to lyrics, it's something like, come go with me me come home with me i love you come into my heart and come with me way beyond the sea which is perfect for for a, a band that is active military just doesn't kind of not connect with what we're seeing happening on the screen there <laughs> and that, well you could argue we do, we do have a, a little bit of this this chapter is with um terry and i've forgotten her name debbie yes yes and so it, that could be from her perspective where she's she's like warming up to Terry at that point maybe she's trying to say to him like come with me because like, mm -hmm. he's passed out on top of a parking meter so she's trying to like coerce him to like, <laughs> abandon that state of mind that he's in I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching uh, but that's, just, that's as far as I can go I think with this chapter <laughs> yeah well I have, I have one more tiny tidbit just about the band and this is just from my very own personal point of view as being in Germany and having otherwise no connection to anything in this film. One of the, the singers, not the one singing the lead vocals in, in this song, but one of the singers of the Dell Vikings was a, a guy called Gus Beckus. And he became a very, very famous singer in Germany. He was then stationed in Germany. He stayed there for the rest of his life, basically, and started singing songs, pop songs in German, and became a star in the 1960s in Germany. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. When I when I read up on the Delvike, I said, I know this name. <laughs> so um, what happens in the scene? It's Kurt performing a dare to basically become a member of a street gang. He is trying, or he's not trying, he's succeeding. He's tying a metal cable to the rear axle of the cop car. And we see him kind of sneaking around the uh, used car lot. Jerry's, cherries, Jerry's, cherries. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. that name. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's, cherries, used car lot. The cars, all, all those sparkling vintage cars there with all those lights. I really like the scene, actually. It is. It's a fun scene. It's. 
I, I like heists in films. This is kind of the closest this film gets to being a heist. Well, there's there's the, the pinball chapter as well, like pinball scene. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like this is just a, a little mission for Kurt to be going on. I, my, my favorite moment of this, we'll jump to it, my favorite moment for this is when he's under the car and he's got the cable <laughs> and he's about to hook it on and Richard Dreyfuss just gives this little this grin and chuckle to himself at just like thinking about the situation that he's in. Like, at, rewind the clock back eight hours, say, and he could never imagine he'd be lying underneath a cop car wearing white trousers on a dirty ground, just ho- hooking this cable on the night before he's off. He's going off to university. I just, <laughs> yeah, I love that little that little just self-reflection at the moment that he gives it's 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 a nice little character beat i mean who would have thought that kurt of all would yeah, kind is... of like become the bad boy of the movie <laughs> like this is like john has definitely done this before this is like this, oh, he's, done, he's yeah. done this three times this month uh, but this is <laughs> this was never going to be on kurt's agenda and, and yet here he is and I, I just like that little moment yeah, and he actually he actually does it i mean holstein the cop he hears something he gets out of the car he, he walks around a lot a bit but Kurt manages to elude his gaze, and then, yeah, he ties the metal cable around the rear axle, and then, stand by for freedom! <laughs> As, oh, it's for justice, is it? Or for, for justice! justice. Yeah. It's for justice, you are right. I had to look up what the first bit he said was, because when I first heard it, I thought he said imbibe for justice. I could, cause it could the, very well be imbibe. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the script apparently says stand by, so I, I'm going to assume the script is right but that first word is lost on me it's lost into the ether <laughs> well it's it's enough to make the cops pull out and, and, and trying to follow that car and it does not go well for them no no <laughs> that, that they kind of detached. flip up and then crash down very hard and the looks they have oh, looking out of the, the rear beautiful. window is so precious it's so it's it's so cartoon yeah it's, it's like the, keystone the, cops kind of like yes cartoonish. Exactly. the jaws open these dumbfounded expressions clearly this is like John's done this three times this month, but not to them. This is the first time it's happened to them. So, yeah, it's... yeah. I kind of, kind of uh, expect a little boing. Sound <laughs> yes. <back in> <laughs> Little, little cartoon birds to fly around their heads kind of thing. Yeah, or something springs jumping away yeah. <laughs> and all that stuff. It is a very funny scene, though. It is. It, it's it's very Blues Brothers as well, I think. It's very Blues Brothers. We see Holstein being a dick before in the film, so we kind of... We never root for the cops in this movie anyway, <laughs> right? No, if you're, if you're rooting for the police here, you're, you're watching the wrong film. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the scene is witnessed by Terry and Debbie. Yes. At least Debbie's face is also precious. <laughs> the expression she has. Yeah, of, of course they've been walking quite a bit because um, their car is gone. Yeah, but she's uh, asking asking Terry, what about his Jeep? And of yeah. course that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and all his lies are coming back to, <laughs> to kind of yes. bite him in the ass. So what about your ponies? Or uh, <laughs> the Jeep that you sold the ponies for? <laughs> and he's like... I have no idea what you're talking about. I do. I I uh, really like that Terry's look is getting a bit more dishevelled as the film goes on. Like his hair is coming more and more out of place as the film progresses. It's a, it's a nice touch from the his the sides are department. coming undone because of course the, the side hair is longer. Yes, <laughs> it kind yeah, of moves of forward, and Debbie is also looking a little worse for wear. Yeah, it's it's a nice touch. I don't know if they filmed this in order or not, but just the uh, the makeup and hair department were were on point in terms of the Absolutely. progression of their their looks throughout the film. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is also the scene, of course, um, where the song picks up a little bit of volume and where you can actually hear the song. 
I'm not even sure which car radio it is on in the, in, in the scene because they don't it have is a not car. The cops? <laughs> it is not the cops. No, uh, maybe maybe the pharaohs because they because Curtis and the pharaohs get back into the car. No one was in the car. No one was in the pharaoh's car. Like, all all three of the pharaohs were out just watching Curtis. Presumably, I'd have left somebody back in there. Yeah, like with the engine running just in case. We we know. First of all, we know what happens to cars that are left unattended. Yes, <laughs> get stolen. They, they don't hang around. Yeah. Maybe they thought because it's in it, it's nearby to Jerry's Cherries. Maybe they thought, oh, they'd be camouflaged in with the other the other uh, cars in the lot, perhaps. Would, Very you, would you consider the, Would you consider the Pharaoh's car to be a cherry? Oh. It looks a nice car, I suppose. It is a nice car. Everyone drives a nice car in that movie. I mean, no one is poor except for Kurt. He he drives the most inconspicuous of all the cars, I'd say, with his uh, Citroën. Yes, well, I mean, Terry has a scooter. He's got like a moped yeah. kind of thing. So, I mean, he... Terry has no car at all. Of course, he has a scooter. But then, of course, he gets the loan. So the, uh, the when when Kurt is is doing his little mission, I like the it's like a, a Godfather esque use of score with the the kind of ramping. It's like train noises, I think. Perhaps that's what. It's a freight train in the background. Yeah, and actually drowns out the song. Yes, so I I, I appreciated that. Just um, yeah, the same same thing with the Godfather with like the mounting tension without using uh, dramatic music to do so. I liked that. It's a nice nice yeah. touch. So the train becomes louder and then of course obscures the sound of Kurt fumbling beneath uh, the cops. Because I'm not sure, but if someone is directly under you and uh, doing something to your car, you would probably hear it. Probably. I mean, the one guy's asleep. <laughs> but Holstein has just been uh, getting back in the car because he has heard something. So yes, he's kind he... of on high alert mode and he still doesn't catch it. And it must be because of the train. Yeah. When I first watched this, I thought, oh, the other guy, he's on his phone. Then I wrote, oh, no, wait, hang on. This is the 1960s, or 50s even. Uh, si- yeah, 62. <laughs> he's not on his phone. What am I talking about? <laughs> he could be on the radio, but we could don't be. hear him say anything. No. <laughs> he's just staring at it, just fiddling with the buttons. Otherwise, yeah, what I like about the scene is also the lighting of it. With all the little uh, twinkly lights reflecting off the cars. The yeah. twinkly lights reflecting some kind of look as if fairy lights were draped over the cars themselves, but it's just the reflections. Yeah, they are they are very very clean cars, very well polished. Whoever's running that that lot is doing a good job. Are people still love the cars back then. Jerry, yeah, yeah <laughs> Jerry, Jerry is taking good care of his cherries there. So is this the same car lot that? Terry goes into earlier in the film with when he has Steve's car when there's a guy who tries to buy the car off of him. Mm. I think is this is this was that Jerry's cherry or is so. that a different lot? Okay, I think it's the same one. No, so I, so they set up the scene earlier on. Good, I, I appreciate it. And then when the cop car pulls out, of course our intention is on on the car being destroyed. But there's of course the the movie theater in the background, and the film that is playing there is Dementia. Ooh. I'm not familiar with that film. It is a um, someone connected to the movie. It's their movie. Um, but also, I think, dementia and the cop car being destroyed. It just fits the scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's a Coppola film. Okay. It's a Coppola film, exactly. Yeah. So they're referencing their producer. It'd be nice, nice if there was a cast member uh, crossover, but I don't know if there is or not. None, none that I can spot, but who, who knows. Even if you don't spot that it is a um, kind of a hint at, at the producer, it just fits. Because that is a demented scene. Yes. <laughs> it's a demented thing to do. <laughs> and what I kept wondering is, um, why is Kurt going along? I mean, at this point, he kind of has decided he wants to stay. What uh, good yeah. will it do him to actually now get involved with those petty criminals? 
I think he's just being buoyed along with adrenaline. I think he's just, he's in with them. I'm not sure he can get out of the situation. Uh, I think, you know, he's probably intimidated by the pharaohs quite a bit there. I mean, they were not so nice in the the scene before. Uh, What was the scene before? Where they said, you have to do this or we'll drag you after the car <laughs> oh yes so yes well so, that's uh, that's why he's doing it then <laughs> he yeah, doesn't want to be but i mean he he got involved um also in 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 like uh kind of tricking the old guy out of money yeah yeah which if he if he really stayed and if it got out that uh he was kind of aiding and abetting is that the right term probably would get in trouble in in the small town that he's in because of course everyone knows everyone well i think well maybe that everyone knows everyone is also why he didn't just walk up to the cop car tap on the window and say excuse me uh this gang has kidnapped me for the night and they're trying to make me do these kind of things because then the gang would know yeah. <laughs> he's, he's in a, a lose-lose situation it's a loose yeah you're right lose-lose situation either he gets in trouble with the grown-up world or with the gang world depends yeah. on what you think is worse uh, i feel like if, if he if he dobbed them into the cops then he would definitely get in trouble with the gang whereas there's a chance he might not get caught by the cops by doing this they might just assume oh it was the pharaohs who did it and curtis isn't a pharaoh don't no, be ridiculous he's, he's, a, he's a upstanding woman of 30 yeah and he has a scholarship by the elks exactly <laughs> no elk would ever do this to a car to a car <laughs> the scene was actually um heavily orchestrated of course because you have to prepare that car so it doesn't actually flip over and and land on its uh roof it does it comes to a, a real sharp stop yeah. when that relaxer comes out which I, i'm not sure i haven't tested this i don't know if it would or, would or not but i, I feel wouldn't. like uh, <laughs> well that that car was of course prepped and the axle was cut out from from the car before so it's not really pulling the axle away because it's, it's it's just sitting there on a loose axle anyway because otherwise they probably would have flipped it over and um would have been dangerous i guess yeah, I'm just watching the the car, the, the axle coming back off again in a loop. It's fun. Uh, but yeah, I like, I like there's other parts of the car, like the part of the bumper, I think, that ping off with it as well. So it's not just the axle falling out. It's, it looks like this car is in, is in a severely bad condition now. It's blocking the road. <laughs> coming back to the two staring out of the rear window. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what? what just happened there? It's it's the two guys with the tiger shark in Jaws, isn't it? They're the, oh, what? That's, that's kind of the look they're giving. <laughs> it's, it's the most cartoonish scene of the film, I think. Absolutely. Well, Jay, any final thoughts? Uh, on, on the chapter or the film in, as a whole? What did you think of the film? Was it your first time watching it? It was, it was my second. I'd watched it once uh, a long time ago, but I couldn't remember anything about it. So when uh, when I was invited to be on this show, I jumped at the chance because it's a podcast and I'll be on any podcast. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then I watched the film. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I just like talking about films. But this is this had a lot of obstacles. This isn't my kind of film, I'll be honest. I'm really not a fan of like hangout movies where like it's just like a slice of life and not a lot happens like some things happen for the characters but it's mainly just hanging out for the night and like i prefer like a real strict narrative like start end point we're going this is where we're going mm-hmm. and this is it does this doesn't have that this isn't a, a strong narrative plot which is fine like, these kind of things people like these kinds of films fine it's just not not the kind of thing for me but also i i really hate cars just in general i i despise driving i hate cars <laughs> <laughs> and so this this is a film in which the main pastime of the characters is just driving up and down. You drive up the road, you turn around, you go back again. What do you do at the end of the road? And you turn to around music, and come back. Talking about sixteen year olds. <laughs> exactly. I really just 
<laughs> for me, I, I'm a cyclist, so I've been I've had a few altercations with cars. But even outside of that, Ooh, it's yeah. Fun. Even outside of that, I just uh, I'm a very nervous driver. It's driving for me is in in emergencies and special occasions and nothing else. So an everyday occurrence or just a hobby makes no sense to me. So th- this isn't a film that I can watch and understand anything any character is doing at any point. Uh, so. so just like me, this film for us kind of has nothing to do with our lives in general. Yes, yeah, the, the 1960s American car culture is a, a just a different planet, as far as I'm concerned. I have no idea what's going on over there, but fine. If they like it, great, good for them. Also, of course, teenage experiences are totally different in, in our part of the world. Yes, indeed. And, you know, teenagers are, are awful people, just in general. So, like, making films about teenagers, it's, why? why? Why would you do that? Why would you choose to show me these terrible people me- making terrible decisions for an hour and a half? Well... <laughs> There's this genre called the teenage film, <laughs> which is quite large, I guess. <laughs> I'm aware. But <laughs> I don't understand why. But the fun thing is we can talk 25 minutes about a film that kind of has nothing to do with our lives, that one of us has no interest in whatsoever, <laughs> and it still works. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why this was amongst my list of scenes that I wanted, because it's like, something happens in this scene. Yeah. This is like a, a little a little mini story here. I'm, and I didn't want anything with Steve and with Ron Howard, because I hate Steve. Steve's a character, is just a scumbag. Just, I hate everything he does. He's just he's trying to con his girlfriend into sex, trying to <laughs> like go off to university just so he can sleep around. I hate him so much. Just an awful person. So I do, I, I, if you if you come up and say you have the, yes. you have this scene with Steve, like no, thank you, I will pass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you could have really hated in that scene. I mean, I, I would have done, but that's not fun. No one wants to hear that, do they? Hate podca- podcasting is not your thing either. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll I'll do it if I have to, but I'm trying. I try. It's like a I'm trying to be more positive in general, just with trying to find the positives about the scenes in the films we discuss. So there's always some 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 good to be found in every scene in every film. Yeah, I think we found the good in this one. Yeah, the, the gormless cops looking at the axle, <laughs> the little chuckle of Kurt. Yeah, there's, there's some great Most stuff cartoonish there. scene in the film. Yeah, yes, we did absolutely. it. Okay, Jay, so we've already said that people can find your podcast, Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. Can they also find you anywhere else on the web? Yes, I have a, a blog. Uh, it's called Life versus Film, lifevsfilm.com. It's where I do, I write movie reviews and just general life updates. It's uh, I've been running it for about a decade now. My main aim over there is trying to uh, watch and review every film on the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list. A oh list my which God. American Graffiti is on that list. So I have now watched it and reviewed it. So thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Glad we could be of help. <laughs> Uh, I, I, my mission was to have finished it about five years ago, and today I'm not even halfway because there's a lot of terrible films on there. Uh, there's a lot of films that are hard to get hold of. A lot of films I don't particularly want to watch, so I'm kind I of mean, picking and is, choosing. If you're if you're really uh, working yourself through the list, that is a large junk of lifetime you're investing into it. it it is and it's a list that increases every year they keep on adding films to it they take some away but I've, I've got a big old spreadsheet that just keeps on adding films to it so it's now like 1200 films to see before you die kind of thing uh, oh, but also wow. i i run a site called the lamb the large association of movie blogs the large ass movie blogs.com uh which, that's the address which is as as it sounds it's a giant collection of online movie blogs and podcasts all about all dedicated to films and tv it's been running for over a decade. Uh, wow. 
members. Over, we've got over 2,000 members all across the world, all covering various aspects of film and TV appreciation. And we're always out for after new members. So if anyone out there has a film based, it doesn't have to be entirely film based. We have some video games that touch on films and books that touch on films and travel that touch on films. Every every kind of blog or podcast, as long as there's something tangentially related to, to films in there. And if anybody out there has such a podcast or a blog and would like to be a member, then hit us up, largeassmovieblogs.com. We'd love to have more members. Wow. So everyone, go there, <laughs> lose yourself in, in the catalog, basically. There's so many, so many yeah. blogs and podcasts over there. It's, it's... I'm impressed. Thank you. I will certainly pay you a visit. And uh, if anyone wants to kind of talk with us more about um, American Graffiti, you can come on to Facebook. You can find Mel's Listeners Drive-In. That's our Facebook group. <laughs> nice. We're still having just very little traffic right now, but we're open all night. Come and bring <laughs> your Coke. Um, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at VCR Privileges, where you will also find other podcasts about movies, like Mash Minute, for example. So, Jay, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me, Doris. It's been delightful. And I'll hear all of you on another scene of American Graffiti. He's really fast, isn't he?